Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Uh, Once again, we use this night. We're just getting back into Wednesday night service. We thought we'd do something like this just to kick it off and begin just by sharing. Let's develop an atmosphere here of healing and health to get a hold of the word of God, to get our spirits to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we thank God that we can do that as we study the word of God together and uh, learn some principles that will help us develop a higher level of faith to receive from God. And so just quickly, we're going to go over a review. Maybe you weren't here last week. These are some of the foundational truths that we need to learn and know if we're going to be successful to stand against sickness and disease. And of course, as we navigate through this life, we know that we're going to be challenged because Jesus said what? In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross, where he bore our sin, sickness, and carried our pain, became the curse on Calvary's tree for us so that we could be liberated, delivered, and set free. Amen? Amen. It's all about him. It's not about us. We're just tapping into his uh, victory. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. So number one, God's view of sickness and disease. It's a curse. As far as he's concerned. Now remember this. This is his view. Not ours. His. It is a curse. Anybody here think it's a blessing? I didn't think so. But it is a curse. It is a captivity. Job says he was delivered from his what? Captivity. And so it's a captivity. We said it's a destruction. These are some of the words from last week. It is a destruction. Psalm 107.20. He delivered us from our destruction. So it is a destruction. It is an oppression. A satanic oppression, Acts 10.38, uh, tells us that. All were oppressed of the devil, so it's an oppression. And then also, it's a bed of languishing that God raises us up from. A bed of languishing. And so, um, those are the views he has, but then also, it will be used and can be used as a judgment. And we talked about the individual in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who is involved in immorality, And as a result of his not listening to what the people were telling him about getting right with God, he refused to do so. And Paul said when he came along, turn his flesh over to Satan for its destruction. Why? So his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. What's he talking about? Judgment on this man who was involved in immorality. And as he was actually uh, living with his stepmother, his father's wife. And Paul said this is unheard of. And since he didn't stop doing it, he was judged. He was judged by Paul to be turned over to Satan. Why? To destroy his flesh. Sin is not as appealing when you're lying on a deathbed. Can you agree with that? And so as a result, the man um, repented, got healed, and was restored in the church. So that was an act of judgment. It wasn't God teaching him anything. It was an act of judgment. If you recall the story of uh, David, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, her husband, and Nathan came along and said to him, hey, buddy, you're the one who's done this thing. He was judged. And as a result of that judgment that fell upon him that was unconditional, it wasn't too pretty for him for the rest of his life. And so we want to learn principles Uh, from the Word of God that will help us develop the level of faith that we can possibly use to overcome all the obstacles we face in this life. And secondly, we talked about God's view of healing. So his view of sickness, we saw, but his view of healing. And the first word I neglected last week, I guess, I don't know, I guess we're all human and make mistakes, right? If sickness is a curse, what's healing? A blessing. And so it is a blessing. If you obey my laws, my commandments, keep my statutes and judgment, these blessings will come upon you. One of which was what? Healing for our body. So it's a blessing. It is a necessity. If your animal falls into a pit, 
Aren't you going on the Sabbath day? Aren't you going to go rescue it? It's a necessity uh, when it comes to even, let's say, give it something to drink. You're going to do that as well. And that's a necessity. That's not a luxury. It's a rescue. If your animal falls into a pit, it's a benefit. It's a covenant right. And it's a good thing. We saw some of these things last week as well. This is how God views healing. It's something good. And I thank God that it is good. Well, it has to be because God is good. And then we talked about some necessary revelations that we should have from the word of God to really help strengthen our faith life. And number one was last week that the father has no favorites. Aren't you glad we're all on the same uh, level playing field? Aren't you glad it's the same for all of us? God has no favorites. I'm not more special than you. You're not more special than me. We're all the same. We're all washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We all have the same father. We have the same rights, privileges and all that. So we talked about our redemption is the same, our righteousness is the same, and we've all been sanctified by the same blood. We have family rights that are all the same. We all have the right to use the name of Jesus. That's all the same. No one is more special. We're all masterpieces in the sight of the Father God. And so we need to view ourselves that way. You're not lesser of an individual, of a child of God, than anybody else is. It's all the same level playing field, okay? Ever uh, go to a sporting event? Maybe your child was involved in a sporting event or something like that, and maybe they lost the game or whatever, and, and you hear people say, well, it was raining that day. It was raining for both teams, <laughs> not just your team. Oh, it was so cold that day. Well, it was cold for both teams. Or the, the field was muddy. It was, it was muddy for both teams, <laughs> and so on. It's the same level playing field. It's all the same. We're living in the same world. We face the same devil. We face the same sicknesses and diseases in the world. It's all the same. But the Father has no favorites. Praise God. We all equally can go to the throne just as anybody else can. Now, as we continue our study, let me throw out a few more scriptures before, before we get into the notes. In the book of Proverbs eighteen fourteen, the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily sickness. The strong spirit of man. What does that tell me? Your spirit can be strong or your spirit can be weak. Well, how's that? Well, the weak spirit is one that could be contaminated with sin consciousness, guilt, condemnation, inferiority. All those things, we could call them diseases of the spirit. When Paul talks about cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, that's what he's talking about. We can feel guilt-ridden, we can have condemnation, we can feel inferior, etc. Maybe it's low self-esteem, low self-worth. So the spirit of man, if it's in a weakened condition, won't be able to sustain that body, the body physically, and make it healthy. So the strong spirit of man will sustain him in bodily sickness. And then, remember the one in Proverbs 17 and verse 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit, what does it do? It dries up the bones. It will affect that person's physical health and well-being. It can even affect uh, the immune system. Another scripture is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, you should know it, in verse 12, that tells us, don't be slothful, but followers of them who through doubt and impatience inherit the promises. Some of you are sleeping tonight. <laughs> through doubt and impatience. If he would have said, through doubt and impatience, you inherit the promises, we'd have it made. We would all have it made, wouldn't we? But he didn't say through doubt and impatience. He said through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Faith means I've got to believe God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But patience means it's not always instantaneously achieved. Sometimes as you apply your faith and stay in faith, it will materialize. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but because you've applied your faith and you believed you received it already, eventually it will come to pass. And so it's important that we recognize some of these truths. So we can have a strong spirit. Now, number two, as far as um, continuing with necessary revelation that we need to have, God's word 
on healing is necessary. When I first got saved and I started to learn about this subject, I saw such different opinions that people had about it. I heard statements like this. Well, if anybody should have been healed, it should have been Sister So-and-So because she's in church three times a week and she teaches a Bible study and, or maybe a, a, a children's class or whatever. So she should have been the one that should be healed. It's not about that. That has nothing to do with someone receiving healing. It's not earned. It's received by faith. Because the one who achieved it was Jesus, not us. But we've got to receive it by faith. And so people had different opinions about it. Well, God's just teaching me a lesson. I have never really learned what that lesson was yet. And if he did teach you a lesson by it, then you should have been healed the moment you got the lesson. But that's not it either. And then another thought is this. Well, if you're supposed to stay sick and he wants you to be sick for a season, why are you going to a doctor and why are you trying to get better? See, sometimes we're a little bit hypocritical even the way we think. That's wrong. I've had them say to me, God wants me to have this. Well, then why are you going to a doctor? Why did you go to the hospital? Why are you taking medicine? It makes no sense if God wants you to have it. If God wants you to have it, learn from it, and then all of a sudden you'll be released from it. But that, that never materializes. It doesn't really happen that way. God's word on healing is necessary. In Psalm 107 and you can read this through 17 through 20. Fools because of their transgressions and all that find themselves going to the throes of death and destruction. But God sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. What did God send? His word. You think about Naaman the leper. And you think about how he was so excited to go to Israel. and He was going to get healed. And the prophet was going to be there. And his whole idea was, I'm going to go there. This guy's going to come out and see that I'm a man of dignity and power. He's going to come out. He's going to meet me. He's going to greet me. There's going to be fanfare taking place. Fox News will be there. CNN will be there. And the list will go on down. They're going to be there. And there might be some trumpets playing and a band playing and all that. Because here I am, Naaman, the mighty man, the mighty warrior, with all his achievements and accomplishments. And when he gets there, guess what? That's not the word that he got. Go dip yourself into the muddy river, river Jordan and you will come out clean. And what does he say? We got cleaner rivers where I came from, buddy. Are you kidding me? I could have stayed there. I brought you all this like 70 some thousand dollars worth of material to give to you. And you're telling me to go dip in that dirty water. Our waters are clean, not muddy. Okay. Adios. We'll see you. And he walks away. Well, guess what? God sent his word. And it wasn't going to heal him because he packed his bags, turned around, walked away until one of his lowly servants said, Oh, master, what did he ask you to do that was so difficult? If he asked you to do something valiant, would you not have done it? Absolutely, I would have done it. Why not just go dip seven times and have leprosy removed? From your body. Oh. Oh, I never looked at it that way. So he goes. His first dip. One layer of pride comes off. His second dip. Another layer of pride comes off. His third dip. Another layer of pride comes off. And finally after the seventh dip. What happens? He's perfectly healed. He's perfectly whole. See he sent his word. But if he didn't follow the word. And its instructions. Guess what? He never would have gotten healed. It's not a matter of, I went to the altar and I got prayed for, but nothing happened. It's not it. We need to get a hold of the Word. Why? Because the Holy Ghost needs something to work with. And when a person gets a hold of the Word of God and says, God, this is what you said. Father, this is what you said. I'm going to act on what you said. Now, there's something more you tell me, but I'm telling you right now, this is what you said to me. And so, therefore, I'm acting on your Word. And you're faithful to your promise. Okay, and if the Holy Ghost says do something other, then do something other. But the Holy Ghost now can work with that because you gave the word out. See, if we don't exalt the word and give it its rightful place, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have a whole lot to work with. It goes very, very, back to the very beginning when the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And it wasn't until the word was spoken that the Holy Ghost did something. So when we declare the word, that's when God moves by his Spirit.
This one woman that was um, dying of lupus, she got a hold of this message. I mean, she was pretty far gone and they expected her to die. But she got a hold of this message. And when she got a hold of this message, just like so many other people have, this is like back in the 80s. And back then when this message of faith was really, really just rising in people's hearts and minds. And she got a hold of the word of God and she began to declare Psalm 91 verses 14 through 16 was the beginning of her taking the word and applying it to her situation, which was basically death. She was going to die from lupus. And she said, I set my love upon you. You said you deliver me. You would set me on high because I know your name. When I call on you, you would answer me. You would be with me in trouble and deliver me and honor me. And with long life, she was young. Would you satisfy me and show me your salvation or saving strength? And so she took that word plus other, a network of scriptures, and she declared them, she confessed them, she proclaimed them every single day, giving the Holy Ghost something to work with. And she did not minimize that. She kept on it, and she kept on it. Jesus is the high priest of our confession of faith. That's exactly his mission right now. His ministry at the right hand of the majesty on high, he's watching over our confession of faith. Think about that. Every single one of us, the, the words that we speak, death and life are in the power of the what? Tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit of their speech. There is that speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings health. And so she kept on and kept on and kept on. And to their amazement, the doctors and everybody else, as she, this is a quick version of it, continued, yes, it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. There were times she didn't feel like it, but she said, I made my lips do their duty and declare that with the stripes I'm healed, I am whole. I'm doing what your word says. And we're going to show you that right now. And this woman was completely healed and restored and went off into the ministry, teaching others how to receive healing by faith. Now, remember this. You can receive healing many, many ways. We can receive healing by the gifts of the Spirit. We can receive healing through the laying on of hands. We can receive healing by the anointing with oil. There are many ways that we can receive healing. But no matter what other way you receive healing, the day will come that God holds us accountable to find out what His Word says and apply it to our faith lives. Because He wants us to grow and not become stagnant. So here it is. Proverbs 4. It's there written for you. You don't have to turn to it. You can look at it later. That's why I gave you the notes. My son, attend to my words. In other words, pay attention. Okay? How do I attend to your words, Lord? Well, incline your ear to my saying. What's he saying? Listen to what I'm saying. Isn't that what a parent tells a child? Would you listen to what I'm saying? Listen to me, son, daughter. Listen to me. Now, listen means not just I have heard you, but listen to what I'm saying. Men, I'm speaking on, you know, I'm just going to tell myself, I guess. You know, when she says go buy milk, bread and laundry detergent. And you just half listened and went out the door. And then you got there and forgot your cell phone. And you only knew two of the three. It's because maybe we didn't listen very well. We didn't let it sink into our ears that we really heard what was being said. Listen to what I'm saying is what God said. Okay, listen to my words. Listen, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear, lean them toward what I'm saying. Let them not depart from before your eyes. What's that talking about? Keep them. They used to have a frontlet at the front of their head, the forehead in a box. They would keep scripture there. Keep it in the forefront of your mind. Keep my word in the forefront of your mind. This is what God said. This is what God said. So listen to what I'm saying. Now notice this. Think about or meditate on what I'm saying. Remember Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So now you're listening to him and you're mulling it over in your mind. You're thinking about it. Isn't that what Naaman did? He started to think about it and said, oh, I was wrong. So listen to what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. And how important is this next step? Keep it in the midst of your heart. In other words, believe. Believe what I'm saying. Listen to me. Think about it. Believe what I'm saying. And my words will become life to you and health to all. All of your flesh. Isn't that amazing? He gave us a recipe right there. 
So he sent his word to heal us and deliver us from our destructions, but it's up to us to follow the principles of the word. Listen, think about it, believe it. Declare it to be true in your life. And he says, you got my guarantee on it. It'll be life to you and health to all your flesh. The first time I ever got healed was from that verse of scripture, those verses of scripture right there. I had a horrible situation with uh, like a flu or whatever. Well, it was like a flu. And I was working the night shift. It's not. How many of you know, why does it get worse at night? Anybody know, why does it get worse at night? Does it know when the sun goes down? Like with this COVID thing. You ever notice that COVID, it's, it's just crazy, right? You can have your mask on when you sit and eat. And the COVIDs hide when you take it off. They're not around. But the moment you get up because you've got four feet to go to the door, put it back on because... You're walking out the door now. They know. They know. I don't know. Some things just don't make any sense. But anyhow. Believe what I'm saying is what he says. And apply these principles to your life. And there'll be life to you and health to all of your flesh. He gave us the the. sometimes I'm apprehensive about saying formula because people just run with that statement. They don't like that. Principles maybe is a better good word. I like to say instructional teaching that we're to follow. It becomes life to us and health to all of our flesh. But what I did was went to work that night. It was horrible. It was at night, like I said, and it got worse. I couldn't even swallow. It was so bad. I could not swallow anything. And, you know, that flu gets you really weak. You're just really weak. I still went off to work and up to my mill crane, you know. I'm, thank God that I worked in a mill crane. And thank God that at night, the night shift is when the mill's running smooth. All I have to do is sit there probably for six, it's eight hours, but probably two hours of work because all I have to do is sit. I'm watching. Something happens, I got to go fix it or whatever, fine. But for two hours, I'm just sitting there. So I open up my Bible and I open up to that verse and said, Lord, you said your words were life to me and health to all of my flesh. And my flesh needs some help. I'm going to start in the Gospel of John from the very beginning, chapter 1, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and so on. And I'm just going to read and take your medicine. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we treated the Word of God as a medicine like we do natural medicine? I forgot to take my medicine. Oh, I forgot to take my medicine. Right here. And so that's what I did. I'm, I'm reading it, John. Chapter 2, chapter 3. I'm just going, I got all this time, I'm just reading all the way through the whole thing. By the time I got to 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, I was relieved at 7 o'clock in the morning. By the time I got to there, every symptom in my body was gone, completely gone. I couldn't even swallow before. I was weak before. I had a fever before. Everything was gone. All I did was follow that principle right there. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, don't let them part from your eyes. Now, what's important about this is this. You can't just do it because, well, someone else did it, so I'm going to do it too. That's not how it works. How it works is this. Father, I want to have a relationship with you. Father, I want to know you as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. I want to walk with you. I want to experience you. And I want my body to be used by you to do your will. I dedicate my body to you. I set myself apart. You purchased me with your blood and therefore I belong to you. And I want to serve you with a healthy body. And so I'm thanking you that as I read these words that you spoke, that they're becoming life to me and health to all of my flesh. And you see, the thing is, when we do that, it could be something like this, where the Holy Spirit comes along and says, now I want you to read this, look at this, or I want you to look at that, do that. He may even say to you, go get hands laid on you right now. There's an anointing here. I want you to add that to what you're believing. And and do it. Just do what he says to do. Whatever it is that he says to do, just do it. And that's why he told Naaman what to do. All right. Under point A. To see God, this is God's healing word. To see God, we need to look at, anybody know? Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. Why? Well, we'll see that in just a moment. (laughs) In John 14, verses 9 and 10, you remember the dialogue that he had with Philip? And Philip says, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you and you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, buddy, you have seen the Father. Isn't that what Jesus said? 
So once again, I found out even after getting saved that most people's doctrine was borrowed. Know what I mean by that? Just borrowed. They weren't looking at Jesus. It was borrowed tradition that was handed down from family members. You know, God's teaching you a lesson. God's doing that. He doesn't heal everybody. It's not always his will. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And there's no foundation about what they believe from the scriptures. It's just what somebody else has either told them or said, which is why I tell you all the time, don't listen to me. If you can't find chapter and verse that I give you, then throw it out. But look at what Jesus said. Jesus is saying this to us. Look, buddy, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and this is what is the right way to go. It's the right thing to do. This is the Father's will, okay? So Jesus, notice this, when people came to him for healing, the next word is Jesus never. Everybody say never. Never, never turned anyone away. You know, when I, when I hear that, what rings in my ears? Way long ago, when I first started you know, learning about healing and all that. Well, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says maybe, and sometimes he says, wait, wait a minute. It, that all sounds, those cliches, they sound so religious and spiritual. Not true. Not true. God cannot go back on a promise that he's made to any of us. That's not Jesus. He never turned one person away. As you look at Matthew there where the scripture is, you'll find out he healed all that came to him. All. Now, let's ask this question. If you get your Bible, look at that verse. How would Jesus know which ones to single out for healing and which ones to not heal or to turn them away? Matthew 12, 14 and 15. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Every one of them. Now, that doesn't sound like someone's left behind. Someone was left out. How many did he heal? All of them. Everyone that came to him. Too often what people want to do. But what about Job? And I go, but what about Jesus? But what about top Timothy in his stomach? But what about Jesus? But what about Paul's thorn? But what about Jesus? Doesn't Jesus trump them all? Here's the point. We follow him. These others were their examples. And we'll explain all about those other things. But you cannot exalt something above Jesus when he walked upon the earth and healed everyone who came to him. Not one person was left out. Not one person was left behind. So if we want to know the true Jesus, who's representing the heart of the Father God, we need to know this. He has no favorites. He loves us all equally the same. And he wants us all well. Because that's what Jesus did when he walked upon the earth. He healed them all. Look at in John, you know, the verse in John 6, 38. Look at your next word, though, before I go there. Jesus is the perfect will of God in action. He's the perfect will of God. Why would I want to find it somewhere else? We go to the beginning to find the will of God. And here's this. The Garden of Eden is the perfect will of God. What a perfect place to be. And no sin, sickness, or disease, mental anguish, or anything of that nature to bring any kind of heartache or pain in anybody's life. Isn't that great? Would you call that the perfect will of God? I would. Okay. When that was disrupted, it wasn't God who just said, I think I'm going to just turn this thing upside down. It was Adam and Eve who made their decision to do what they did. And as a result of what they did, what happened? They brought evil into this world, darkness into the world, sin, sickness and disease, mental anguish. Everything took place as a result. The curse that came upon the, the, the ground, the animal kingdom, vegetable kingdom and so on was a result of the curse, not the will of God. So that's not the will of God that's happening in the earth when all those things transpire. Well... Since that's not the will of God, then what is the will of God? Okay. The perfect will of God was found in the garden. It's not the will of God the way it is in the world today. But when Jesus walked the earth, he was the perfect will of God in manifestation. Hey, um, Jesus, my servant lot at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. 
I will come and heal him. Oh, you don't have to. Just speak the word, my servant, and be healed. Okay. See, he's the perfect will of God in action. Everywhere he went, that's what he did. Funeral procession. Oh, lady. Oh, my goodness. What happened? I can see you're in a funeral procession here. Your son, your only son? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, here. Raises him from the dead and says, go ahead. Hey, you. The nobleman's son. Or, or daughter. The, the one woman's daughter says, uh, don't bother the master any further. She's dead. Uh, be not afraid. I only believe. And he raises her from the dead. Of all the multitudes of people, why wasn't there one that he said, it's not my father's will to heal you. You've got to suffer with that for the rest of your life. He's teaching you a lesson. None of those are biblical teachings. None of them. But tradition has passed it down from one generation to the next, making us think they're biblical and they're not biblical. But doesn't he chasten the ones that he loves? Yeah, but why would you define chastening as sickness? Why? When the word in the Greek actually means he will child train you. Okay, fathers and mothers out there, we're allowed to say that here, right? Father, mother, we're allowed. Mm -hmm. Which of you being evil can give, who give, you're evil, can give good gifts to your children? How much more will your father in heaven give you cancer? To child train you. What sense does that make? We're better than the Father God? You know, we're not. Jesus said, why pray that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven if it's being done in earth? And like people think, it's just the will of God. It's not. You see, wrong thinking leads to wrong believing, leads to wrong speaking, leads to wrong having or experiencing in our lives. So it's imperative that we understand these principles if we're going to have a strong, robust life of faith. Because you know why? Faith is a fight and we're standing against a devil who does not play fair. He's not concerned about your life or your well-being or my life or my well-being. He's concerned about destroying us, killing us, stealing from us, and destroying us is what he's all about. And the only way for you and for me to rise up with our authority and overcome him is by understanding Jesus gave us power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall many, by any means hurt us. But he doesn't want us to know that, see. He wants us to sit back and just think, you're a real good Christian if you just sit there and just say, well, this is all coming on me, but you know, God's just teaching me a lesson. Uh, no. No. That's the enemy whacking you across the head saying, ha, look at they think God's doing it. And I'm just going to enforce it as long as they think it. But in, when we get the revelation and you stand up and just say, uh-uh. He goes, uh-oh. No more. Look out. All right. Next one. Jesus was moved with compassion. Moved, Matthew 14, 13 to 14. He was moved with compassion and healed all that were sick. Moved with what? Compassion. Compassion is sympathy toward the suffering of another. That's the easy part. Coupled with a yearning, burning desire to alleviate the suffering. That was Jesus. If you can even picture that, imagine that. He sees someone so sickly. And he is so moved with compassion. He's not sitting there going, now, uh, now wait a minute, Father, is this one worthy of a, a touch? He's not doing that. You, you want to you get that kind of compassion? When we were at Children's Hospital with Andrew, oh, and we were on that one transplant floor for the longest time with him, and you get to meet these little ones, this sweet 11-year-old girl that just had transplant or I think maybe one or two organs or whatever it was. And then you come back a week later and she died. And you just stand there. Then you see all these others as sickly, waiting for some, having some kind of hope to have a transplant or something. And then one by one, they begin to die. It just breaks your heart. It really does. 
He becomes so compassionate toward the suffering of other people. And what is it? Coupled with a yearning, burning desire to alleviate the suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Notice this. That's the motive behind healing. The motive. It's not because you're good enough. It's not because you, uh, your performance is so wonderful. It's because he loves you so much. He loves us so much. And he's compassionate. Why? He made us not for sickness or disease, but for health and well-being and soundness of mind. He didn't make us so that we could lose our mental faculties at some age in our lives. He didn't make us for that at all. But he wants us to know how much he cares about us. The provision that he made for us is for us to experience the quality of life that Jesus came to give us. Look at the next one. Jesus did good and healed all. You know the verse, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all. Everybody say all. That were oppressed of whom? The devil, for God was with him. I don't see it any clearer than that. As a matter of fact, that should be one of the major verses of Scripture that we take to heart. God the Father anointed God the Son, but the God the Holy Spirit and power, that's the whole Godhead. You don't get any bigger than that, any better than that. No. Who went about doing what? Good and healing. Healing is a good thing, we said. All that were oppressed, who's the culprit? The devil. For God was with him. So behind the, the force of healing is God. And of course, the devil's the oppressor. So in your notes there, the devil is the oppressor, but Jesus is the healer. Did we got caught up on our words yet? <laughs> Did we got them all? I'm trying to go slow enough to get Okay. So the devil's the oppressor, and who's the healer? What does that do when someone says, well, God's just making me sick because he wants to make me a better person? Uh, no, the devil's making you sick because he wants to take you out. You see, if God's behind it, you're like, I'm not going to fight God. But when you know the devil's behind it, then all of a sudden it gets your dander up. Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. Under point B, the, the storm calmer, not starter. When they were out there on the boat, he didn't start the storm. He calmed the storm by saying, peace, be still. You know what? He wants us to ad adopt those into our vocabulary. Peace, be still. Come to a calm. S once again, spiritually speaking, our spirits have to be strong. Emotionally, we need to be strong so that physically we could be strong and overcome sickness and disease in our bodies. But in Mark 4, that's exactly what he did. In 4, verse 39, he said, Peace be still, and the storm came to a storm, uh, uh, calm. God is not the cause, is your next word, of accidents, sickness, earthquakes, floods, catastrophes, or any storm we may face in life. Years ago when I first came here, um, I was asked to go see another minister who was at the hospital, had been in a car accident, and I think the others died, and he was bad, really bad. And so I did, went to see him and to pray for him. Uh, you never know what anybody believes. At that time, that was way back when I first came, so it might have been in the early 80s. And as he was lying there, I said, brother, you know, I'm going to pray with you and everything. He said, you know, you know, brother, everything happens for a reason. That God always makes things happen for a reason. Right there, it's almost as if you could just let the air out of the balloon. You know what I mean by that? How are you going to minister healing to someone who believes that God was the author of this and the one responsible for these others that died in the other car? But you see, when you're taught that way, you think that's the spiritual way to see it. Well, that would mean this. If those people were lost that got killed in that car accident, was then God the one that orchestrated that to set it up so they can then have an early trip into the realms of hell? I don't think so. Now, I wouldn't believe that God would do that. Now, I could see a devil would do that. Can you see that? You know, and so you're trying to say, well, brother, um, you, and sometimes you just can't. You know what I mean by that? You, just, you can't correct the theology sometimes at a time like that. 
But I'm thinking, my goodness, if you want to have an unleashing of the miracle working power of God, you've got to recognize God is not the cause of the accident or the storm. Insurance companies may think that, but not God. These are not acts, near next word, of God, as insurance companies would have us believe. They're not acts of God. They are caused by the fall of man and used by the devil to destroy human lives. That's what it's all about. That's his MO. That's what he wants to do, destroy us. So we need to have this kind of theology, this kind of understanding of who the enemy is and who the helper is. Thank God for the helper. Okay. When Jesus then rebuked the wind, and he did, didn't he? He rebuked the wind, waves, and the sea, did he not? Well, he wasn't rebuking something God did, was he? Was he rebuking his father who stirred up the this, this storm? No. We've got to recognize this. In the fall of man, what took place was every kingdom was under a curse. We have earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, and the list goes on and on. Why? Not because God's up there. Oh, let's take that one out right there and open up. He's not doing that. Let's call the volcanic reaction right here. He's not doing that. All that happens as a result of the fall and the curse upon the earth. As a matter of fact, we're living at a time right now, which is why we know we're getting closer to the end. We've had more volcanic eruptions. We've had more earthquakes than ever before taking place around the world and so on. Why? Because the earth is crying out for its deliverance from the curse. That's why it's crying out for that. For the appearance of the sons of God to be released from the curse so they can have a calm once again, as God intended from the very beginning. So we're seeing that happen more so in the day in which we live. So it's the devil who's the author of these things, not God. And also, it's the fall of man. If you recall this, that God himself said to Adam, because of you, the ground is cursed. Because of you. Not because of me, but because of you. All right. And you can take that over into childbearing. Eve, it's because of you. Ladies, I've, I never had a baby and I never will. But you have. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a child with no pain? I mean, maybe there was a few that did. There were a few that did. But for the most part, I would say most don't. They have pain. But can you imagine pain-free childbearing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? How about pain-free living altogether? Wouldn't that be wonderful? No more sorrow, no more sighing, no more crying, no more dying, no more woes. All the former things are gone, passed away, praise God. No more sickness, no more disease, no more cancer, no more COVID. No more whatever name at all. It's all gone. Those former things are gone in the new society in which we are going to live and be a part of. A glorified state, a glorified body, praise God. It will never age, thank God. It will never be overweight, thank God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for all that? Mm, wonderful. Uh, point C, God is not in control of everything happening on the earth according to Jesus. Now, according to some people, they think he is, which I don't even see how they can even think that. <laughs> think about this. If God, the master designer, creator of the universe and everything in it, that's in it, has got this earth under control. <laughs> really? Wow. It's messed up. Wouldn't you say? God's not controlling everything that's happening on the planet. We know that. According to Jesus in John 12, 31 and 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Don't have to turn to it. I'll tell you what they say. Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming. He has no place in me. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're talking about whom? Satan. Who is he? The prince of this world. He is? Yeah, he is. And then you taught Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who see not. Lest the light of the knowledge of the glory of God would shine upon their hearts and minds and they would get saved. Who's blinding people's minds? The God of this world. The prince of this age. Well, who's that? The devil is. So God's not in control of everything that's going on. If you recall, think about this one. When Daniel prayed and 
the moment he prayed, his words were heard in heaven. Gabriel was dispatched to go and give him the answer to his prayer. But he, when he got there, he said, but I was sustained for 21 days because the prince of Persia came and I had a mess with him. Man, we had a little struggle going on. Then finally, Michael came and relieved me. And now here I am 21 days later to give you your answer. We're living in a society where there's spiritual warfare that's going on all the time. There are unseen forces of darkness that are out there trying to mess up the plan of God. And so we need to understand that God's not in control of everything that's taking place on the earth. He's not in control when a woman is raped. He's not in control when someone shoots somebody and kills them or murders them. He's not in, in control when someone robs a bank. That's not God orchestrating any of that. But why people fall victim to that, I don't know. They think, well, you know, things happen for a reason. Yeah, and the reason we know is to steal, to kill, destroy. Next, Satan is in the sickness. Or, uh, did you get the God of this world? Satan's a prince and God of this world. You got that? Satan is in the sickness and bondage business. But God is in the healing and deliverance business. Amen. You thought we'd get through this whole thing, didn't you? I knew we wouldn't. I knew it. But God is in the healing and delivering business. But remember when he could do no mighty works there in Nazareth, his hometown, because of the what? Unbelief. Unbelief. In other words, they weren't believing right. Unbelief will thwart the work of God. Absolutely undermine the work of God. And when you might think, is well, unbelief means I don't have enough faith. No, unbelief, for the most part, means you believe wrong. Do you remember when the fellow said, help my unbelief? This was the man whose son was suicidal, who was throwing himself oftentimes into the water to drown himself. He was suicidal and also into the fire to burn himself. Can you imagine living with a child? I don't know how many years it was, but as of a child, he told Jesus he tries to kill himself all the time. You're talking about 24-7. Somebody watching this child who is trying to drown himself or burn himself alive. Oh, my goodness. And he goes to Jesus and says, look, your disciples couldn't help me, but if you can do anything, have mercy on us and help us. That sounds wonderful. But Jesus stops him in his tracks and says, it's not what I can do. Nothing to do with me or what I can do. See, if thou canst help us, have mercy on us and do so. And Jesus says, sir, it's what you can believe. It's not what I can do. It's what you can believe. Because you see, all things are possible to him that believeth. And what does the guy say? I believe. Help mine unbelief. Well, what's going to help unbelief? Well, in Nazareth, the Bible says, when he got done saying that, he could there do no mighty works because why of the unbelief? He went about teaching. He went about teaching. Correcting their theology. Correcting their way of thinking. Correcting their understanding. I'm going to say something I believe from the Spirit of God right now. You're not going to get free until you start changing the way you think about things. You've got to stop thinking wrong if you want to have right. And the more you think wrong, then the more you're going to have wrong. But you've got to stop thinking wrong. And what does that mean to you? It maybe means something to someone over here, then different than someone over here. But we've got to start thinking right. This is for all of us. It's for me. For all of us. Start thinking right. You heard my testimony how the way we were, to have, we were able to have children, when I thought when I first got saved, God doesn't want us to have any more children. I thought I was so spiritual. I was just a babe in Christ. I thought it was so spiritual. Well, God doesn't want us to have any more children, Jose. And if he doesn't want to have any more kids, because we can't have any more kids because of endometriosis and da-da-da-da-da, well then, okay. Thank God for men like Jose. He tolerated my doubt and unbelief for a moment. And he said, brother, I just got a call. He was in a crane with me. He had to go get his crane and move it down the bay. He said, but read Psalm 128 when, you leave, when I leave. I was just saved. I didn't even know Psalm, what Psalm 28, 128, where it was, what it said. 
He said, read it. I'm going to show you something how this, this is miraculous. All this is to tweak the way you think. I read Psalm 128. Blessed is the man that walks in the ways of God. He'll be happy and he'll be blessed. And I was just like proud as a peacock. God, that's me. I found you, Lord, and I'm just so excited, so exuberant. Life is good. His wife will be as a fruitful vine by the size of his house and his children around his, his table like olive plants. Like somebody knocked me in the head. My mouth flew open. Really? You meant that? I never read that. Guess what I did? This is why it's so important to have a personal relationship. Got on my knees in a mill crane and all that filth and dirt and said, I misrepresented you, Lord. I'm so sorry. I repent of my words by saying you don't want me to have children. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. I see right here in your word. My son, attend to my words. And right here in your word, you said, my wife will be as a fruitful vine around the sides of my house and my children, plural, around my own head, my table like olive plants. So, I believe you. Went home. Made sure I communicated that. We got an agreement with it. And believe God, after five years of trying and could not because of the endometriosis and the surgery and all that took place, within two weeks, she was pregnant. When that was tweaked, the unbelief was changed into belief. Boom. Pregnant. Just like that. I was in school in Tulsa when my oldest boy was born, BJ was born. Came back here, took over the church in 79. 81, Andrew, I mean, Jason comes along. I'm panicking now because how do you stop something like this? This train is going. I say that, but six kids later, I'm just like, you, are you out of your mind? But my point, you see, we're looking for something. It's found right here in God's word. It's right here in God's word. And what does it mean to you to tweak that, to change that, to do something, whatever it is? Go dip seven times. Let's stand together before the Lord.